Hi everyone, welcome back to the Primary Healthcare Development Pre-Edge Pharmacy Podcast. I'm still Sana and this month's episode is the long-awaited topic, infections. This topic is quite broad, the antimicrobial classes can get quite confusing, let alone trying to remember when to use each drug for which indication. But most of all, it's a highly weighted topic for the GPHC exam and that's probably why a lot of you have been eagerly anticipating it. We're not going to go through the principles of antimicrobial prescribing or things like that, but before I do delve into the topic itself, I just want to let you know that the treatment summaries associated with the infections are absolutely fantastic. They are clear, they're easy to understand, and they are testable with a capital T. Do not skip them. Now, I understand that going through classes of antibiotics and the other antimicrobials can be so useful so that's why we had this episode lined up let's start with them first of all antibacterials aminoglycosides these are the mycins gentamicin neomycin streptomycin they're the ones you're going to see the most with gent and neomycin being the most common aminoglycosides are not absorbed from the gi tract so they've got to be given iv or any other way except for enterally for systemic infections. Gentamicin, like I've said before, needs therapeutic drug monitoring. And if you want to know more, more about this, have a listen to the episode on high-risk drugs. As you're probably aware already, aminoglycosides are toxic to the ears. That's ototoxic. So you've got to make sure that you've got a patient who can tell you when their hearing feels impaired. Neomycin is too toxic for IV administration, so that's why it's given topically. They're all bactericidal, that means they kill the actual bacterium and they have activity against both gram-negative and positive organisms. Carbapenems are like the cousins of penicillins. They have a beta-lactam ring and they have a broad spectrum of activity. Meropenem is the most commonly seen one in secondary care, but you don't really see these antibiotics much. They're usually reserved for the more serious infections. That takes us nicely to penicillins. These can be split up into five subsections and because you guys are so cool, we'll go through each one. Firstly, the broad spectrum penicillins that includes Comox and ampicillin. Comoxiclav is a combination of amoxicillin and clavulanic acid. The latter is not even an antibiotic. Its actual purpose is to overcome the bacterial enzymes that normally metabolize penicillins. This, that that I just said, is my favorite fact in the whole of this topic. And now that I've told it, it's sadly all downhill from here. Penicillinase-resistant penicillins are also very awesome in that Fluclox is not only active against lots of staph bacteria that are resistant to other penicillins, but it's not even inactivated by those penicillinases that we talked about before. Isn't it amazing? Furthermore, because flucloxacillin is stable in the acid environment, it can actually hack the pH of the stomach, so it can be taken orally and it's well absorbed from the gut. Fantastic. Fluclox can actually cause bruising and discoloured skin. Nothing comes without a couple of side effects, does it? It is important, however, to counsel your patients that if they do recognise any bruising or discoloured skin whilst on this antibiotic, 
even though it's really rare, they must seek medical attention straight away. Temicillin is another antibiotic in this teeny tiny corner of antibiotics, but you don't really see loads of it. I think I've only seen it once in my entire career. She says like she's been working for three decades and not three years. But yeah, it's very rare. But if you see it, just remember how cool its mechanism of action is. In the BNF, benzyl and phenoxymethylpenicillin are in their own little group as well. They are used for very different indications. Benzyl penicillin is the only licensed antibiotic for the treatment of syphilis. And that's where it's administered by IAM, thus intramuscular injection. It's also inactivated by the acid in the stomach that we talked about. So it has to be given by injection if you want it to do anything. Phenoxymethylpenicillin also prescribed as penicillin V. You guys will have seen loads of this whatever sector you're in. It's usually used for a huge range of infections, actually, respiratory, sore throats, oral and sinus infections. It's not really suitable for more severe infections because it's difficult to predict its absorption. And obviously, when you've got a patient who's critically ill with a severe infection, you want to know what to give and how to predict its efficacy. Have you ever seen tazacin in secondary care? It's made up of penicillin, which is an anti-pseudomonal penicillin, and tazobactam. This class of antibiotic is used for more severe infections, usually in the hospital in, uh, in things like sepsis. When I was a pre-reg though, this is just a little bit of a story time, I don't think you'll need to know this for the exam, but when I was a pre-reg, we had to dispense discharge medication for a patient on one of the, one of the wards and it was for six weeks of tazacin and you take it a few times a day you have to it has to be administered IV a few times a day and you had it for six weeks and I just remember there were like four bags of tazacin vials and at that time I'm not sure why but our trust had like individual boxes so that's what we gave and it was literally one vial per box and I was amazed and nobody in that dispensary no one had ever seen that many tazins for one patient for one course of treatment at all. And there were no pharmacists in the dispensary at the time because usually, as people will know, hospital dispensaries tend to be technician-led. And then, coincidentally, that afternoon I was on a rotation and I was on the ENT ward and this patient had malignant necrotizing otitis. And that means that he had a very severe infection in his ear and it's treated at that trust with six weeks of tazacin IV unless obviously they have relapse or it doesn't get better in those weeks then they try something else but I just thought that was a uh, that was so interesting I'd never seen it he actually went home with a cannula in his arm and obviously that brings its own infection risks into into the game and it just fascinated me I don't know how he turned out because obviously I qualified in that time and moved on but it's something I've never forgotten and actually after that I've heard of a lot more patients having it. Finally in this little subsection of medicines, the mycillinums, personally I think this class is a little bit lazily named. What the heaven is a mycillinum? But you know, who do I think I am? Pivmycillinum is the only antibiotic in this so that's probably why they didn't really give much thought to it. It's available as Selexid. You guys have probably seen it, especially in community. I think it's dispensed quite a bit more than it was when I was training. 
it's actually a pro-drug and it's hydrolyzed to the active drug which is called mycelinum. Quinolones used to really annoy me as a pre-reg pharmacist because I cannot understand why they did not name the class something that rhymed with the drugs. When I was stressed out and trying to remember all these things, the only great thing about pharmacy was that it rhymed. Except for these, it literally took me the whole five years to remember that ciprofloxacin was a quinolone. I was like, why isn't it something called a floxacin? I don't understand. Anyway, ciprofloxacin, ofloxacin and levofloxacin are all included in this group of antibiotics. You'll probably be quite familiar with them. You see them in every sector in almost every single formulation. Eye drops, ear drops, oral tablets, suspensions, vials for intravenous administration, everything. They're that brilliant. However, they have an important MHR a warning to be aware of. I do suggest you have a look at it, either in the BNF or the Medicines for Children website. They can cause tendinitis, and patients and parents should be counselled on how to spot this. Tendinitis can present as pain, numbness, tingling, or even weakness in limbs. Quinolones also have a little quirk in that when they're given at the same time as NSAIDs like ibuprofen, there's an increased chance of seizures, and that's irrespective of the person's history of epilepsy. These are surprisingly commonly prescribed together on drug charts in hospital and in the community or in GP surgeries. You'll see a lot of patients who might want to take ibuprofen or another NSAID to kill the pain or the fever caused by their infection. That's where you swoop in and save the day and you save their driving licenses. Kefalosporins are broad spectrum and the class contains drugs like kefataxime and keftaraxone. You do not actually see a lot of these prescribed or used in practice. They're fourth or fifth line for a lot of things. But of course, it's important to be aware of them. And in Gyneland, they love doing it. So if someone has like a burst ovarian cyst or something like that, they tend to be on that and metronidazole. So if you work in a GP surgery, you might see discharges letter, discharge letters with them on it. <clears throat> if you're in community pharmacy, a patient who's just come home from hospital might might bring one to you, a box of Keftrax on a Kefataxime, and ask you if they're taking it right. Because when they hear new medicines, it's a bit daunting for the patient. So it's incredibly important to be aware of things that you might not see prescribed loads. Kephalosporins are used against sepsis, meningitis, biliary tract infections and UTIs. 0.5 to 0.65% of people who are allergic to penicillins will be allergic to these as well. And there are some good details in the related treatment summary about each drug in the class. For example, keftraxone, it's got a longer half-life. That means you only need to take it once a day. And a fun little quirk about kephalosporins, they can give a false positive urinary glucose test and a false positive Coombs test. Tetracyclines are interesting because although they're broad spectrum, more and more bacteria are getting resistant to them. That being said, they're primary choices for acne treatments, chlamydia, some respiratory infections, and you'll recognize doxycycline because it's in rescue packs of COPD.
Doxycycline and all the other tetracyclines can cause photosensitivity, so it's vital to counsel patients to avoid exposure to sun lamps, sun lamps, heat lamps, sunlight, or tanning beds. I'm just thinking the sun's everywhere in it. And use protection like sunscreen and to wear long sleeves, you know, even on cloudy days. This last bit is really important because patients think we're living in the beautiful, silvery, cloudy Britain. We don't need to wear sunscreen. We don't need to wear long sleeves, but that's not true. It actually says it in the cautionary advisory label on doxycycline and most tetracyclines that even if it's cloudy, you must use sun protection. Tetracyclines are, as I'm sure you'll remember, one of the classes of medicines that can cause tooth discoloration. Things like tetracycline come in topical preparations for acne gel, like gel as well. And it's important that you remember, just because something's not taken orally or systemically, it doesn't mean it can't still cause all those side effects, especially, especially photosensitivity. I've said it before, but it really, really, really does make a difference. If you're stuck on how to counsel a patient, have a look at resources specifically tailored for patients that means patient information leaflets rather than SPCs, NHS choices rather than a healthcare professional driven website, all that kind of thing. So you know the best way to get information across to the person under your care because those are for patients. So they're going to be in the kind of language that you want to incorporate into your idiolect when you speak to patients as a pharmacist. It's coming soon for a lot of you listening. The reason we talk so much about how to counsel patients and all of that kind of thing, even when it's so close to the exam for a lot of you, is because I know it's close to the exam and it's your primary focus right now, as it should be. However, once you've done your exam, once you've got your name on that register, you're going to be a real life pharmacist with real life patients making real life final, final decisions. So even though the exam is the most important and urgent event for you, please don't glaze over or skip anything to do with counselling because it's one of the most brilliant techniques when preventing poor health outcomes. Furthermore, I completely get that at this point it's so close to the exam that you're probably thinking, all right, cool, but I still need to pass the exam, don't I, to get my name on that register, don't I? Yes, I understand that. I was there three years ago and speaking to a lot of you guys personally I know that I cannot imagine the stress you're feeling and I get that it's so important so let's get on the same page on this the exam's getting closer and closer it's also getting more and more person-centered for obvious reasons therefore there's going to be more of those questions that are centered on which is the best piece of advice to give this patient and then for that, you're going to find what you advise them in the patient and care advice subsections in the monographs in the VNF. But if it's a resource pack question, if you guys have joined a lot of our primary HD or Medicare revision sessions, you'll know the advice that we always give you guys. If you know the advice in the first place, Yes, you've got your resource pack, but that can just be a confirmation of your right answer. You'll save so much time. So do pay attention to these kind of patient-centered, person-centered topics in the BNF. And remember, the BNF is quite clinical. It's very prescribing-centered and checking-centered. So if there's something very personal 
in there are advice related that seems a little bit less number orientated you know it's important please please do not skip them and please please when you see those questions in the exam remember Sana Khan Wasn't that a lot about bacteria and antibacterials? But as we all remember from secondary school, there are two other types of pathogen, fungus and virus. So antivirals and antiretrovirals are used for the treatment of viral infections and management of HIV respectively. They are interesting to work with and to be honest, you won't actually see much of the latter unless you're working in a specialist HIV centre. So if it does come up in the exam, it's likely to be a resource pack question. Therefore, all the past advice regarding knowing your way around the summaries of product characteristics, understanding the way the monographs work, how to read drug charts, technical aspects of prescriptions, they're all things that you've got to make second nature because no doubt the name, dosage, numbers in the drugs, they'll stress you out a smidge anyway, but you do not need to. Acyclovir is active against herpes simplex virus and it comes in loads of formulations, cream, ointment, IV preparations and oral tablets. Acyclovir doesn't actually eradicate the herpes virus, it just prevents the virus from multiplying. Fun little fact about acyclovir tablets, it's taken five times a day. I always thought penicillin was awkward taking four times a day on flu clocks and stuff but oh my gosh, five times a day. You tend not to see these antivirals given orally or IV much in practice. So what you'll probably see more of is something like acyclovir cream for infected cold sores, which tends to need to be started at the first sign of symptom, like when the lips are tingling. And then it's typically used five times a day as well for five to 10 days. The associated side effects with topical antivirals are more like the side effects for other topical medicines, things like inflammation, irritation, itching. And when they're taken more systemically, however, they can actually cause changes in white blood cells like neutropenia and leukopenia. The interesting one for me is crystalluria. This is when urine becomes cloudy. I regret saying interesting because it sounds a bit weird, but you know, interesting. That's what happens when you work, in, work as a pharmacist for. I keep saying so long. I sound like I'm about to retire, but honestly, I've only been working three years. But yeah, I find stuff like that interesting. And you will too, if you don't already. Antiretrovirals like ritonavir are used for the management of HIV or as a booster for other protease inhibitors. They have a bit of an unpleasant side effect profile when they do occur, like alopecia, anemia, high blood pressure, skin reactions, altered taste, GI upset. They're also cautioned in patients who have got chronic hepatitis B or C because there's an increased risk of the hepatic side effects. Let's not forget about the fungi. Antifungals are commonly sold and dispensed in the community pharmacy world. And I'm sure everyone who's listening, who's doing their pre-reg training in a community pharmacy can basically speak along with what I'm about to say. Usually topical antifungals are used for the time it takes for the visible infection to disappear plus one or two weeks after just to make sure we've got everything. You guys who have worked in community pharmacy or if you've seen people come to your GP surgeries with this will know that 
there are like repeat offenders with stuff like athlete's foot they won't use it the topical anti antifungal they won't use it for longer than it takes for the infection to disappear that's why it looks like it's, it keeps coming back but it's literally the same cycle of infection so counseling is vital here people remember these a lot of these are actually available as p meds so they're not prescribed they haven't got a doctor or anyone or a dermatologist to counsel them on it and if they do then they have smaller slots of time to speak to them you've got the time hopefully you've got the you've got the knowledge you've got the ex expertise hopefully you've got a consulting room so speak to them take that time and just give them that warning don't stop using it when it looks better trust the process you're going to need it and then hopefully if they start taking care of their skin and stuff and drying properly then it won't recur but obviously they need to use it for the prescribed time and remember i keep saying prescribed but that means they're kind of prescribed with that prescription the way muhammad imran told us back in that time when we had him on as a guest when you're recommending something you're basically prescribing it so take it with that much responsibility please counsel your patients on how to use them durations are commonly missed out on antibiotics and antifungals not so much antivirals because obviously the risk is so is so highly perceived but in stuff like athletes what people don't realize how serious it can get it's very unpleasant so remember one or two weeks after it's completely better looking With things like tactarian oral gel, the side effects are predictable, dry mouth, nausea, altered taste, the side effect of already administered antifungals like fluconazole and tibinafine, they're similar to those of antiretrovirals, they include agranulocytosis, anemia, pancreatitis, hypersensitivity, and you need to monitor liver function, just like you need to monitor it with antiretrovirals because of the increase in risk of side effects that involve the liver. That was a brief run through of different types of antimicrobials used against the various classes of infection. You're going to come into contact with loads of these in whatever se sector you practice and no matter where you are, who your patients are, antimicrobial stewardship is essential. Have you signed up to be an antibiotic guardian? Go and do it as soon as this episode finishes. I will never forget when I was a pre-age pharmacist on one of the elderly wards and they were quite worried about resistance then and that was a long time ago. Let's be honest. I was it was five, it was five years ago, and one of the GPs was talking to us, and he actually said, at that time in it was 29, 20 what was it twenty sixteen five years ago in twenty sixteen, there were two novel antibiotics being researched, and that's not like that means that. Yes, there's going to be analogs and derivatives of all the available ones, but we're going to run out of them soon. But there was two, only two anti antimicrobials that had a new, novel, previously unseen mechanism of action compared to how many other classes we had and things are getting resistant to them, compared to how many new types of anti-cancer drugs, how many new types of anti-diabetics, anti-hypertensives, all of that sort of stuff. Two drugs for bacteria. It does scare you and it is so important for us as literally is, is a worldwide problem.
the human race needs to get together and tackle this. So go sign up to be an antibiotic guardian. Go do it. I'm pretty sure all of us did it as soon as we qualified. So join the club, guys. And please don't dismiss the related treatment summaries and nice CKS. They give excellent information on general points associated with each drug. And if you have a look at the online BNF, a brilliant thing about it is that before it goes into each drug monograph, it mentions the class each time. So you can always look at them and always refer back. It's so easy. Good luck to you amazing people who have endured so much in the past year, who have gone from strength to unprecedented strength, who have passed GPHC inspections, taken care of the public, learned loads, taught each other, kept yourselves together in anticipation for the exam. It's so normal to be stressed out, anxious, and it's so normal to want it to be over now. The next episode will be after your exam, so I want to quick, take a quick moment to wish you all good luck. To reiterate, the primary HD team is always, always available. This time is definitely the most bizarre. You're probably run, running out of things to revise. You don't really know how to make use of the time. You're fed up of keeping your eyes on the pharmacy news. And as soon as it's over, I guarantee you'll have the best sleep of your entire life. It's going to be over soon. You've worked so, so hard. Whether you worked between your placements or not, whether you worked right up until the exam or not, Every single person's journey has been ridiculously challenging, unfairly challenging, and I can't wait for the day you're celebrating your names on the register. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and if you don't do any of those, join our Telegram group where you can ask us anything on an instant basis. You can get personalised help, quizzes, case studies from all of us at Primary HD, and just thank you for being such an asset to the profession in this horrible time. It's horrible for us who are qualified. It's unimaginable. This is a very unique situation. No one can say they relate to it apart from your peers who have been through exactly the same thing. Thank you from all of us at Primary HD for what you've done for the profession. And <clears throat> next month we're going through how to navigate summaries of product characteristics. See you then and good luck guys.